It's good to see all who are present this afternoon, and I would like to read from the Gospel according to Mark and chapter 1. The Gospel according to Mark and chapter 1. Just a brief, a brief reading. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness. Verse 12, And immediately the Spirit driveth him, that is the Lord Jesus, into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. <clears throat> and just a verse later in the chapter, verse 35, and in the morning, <clears throat> rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into the wilderness, into a solitary place. And there prayed. Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. He said unto them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Now I'll conclude the reading there. Other scriptures we'll refer to and trust the Lord's blessing upon his word. <clears throat> and still, I'm still in the wilderness as far as my thinking is concerned. And I want to just make the third contribution. This afternoon, <clears throat> we thought about the table in the wilderness and the tabernacle in the wilderness. I take a Bible expression, the temptation in the wilderness. And of course, thinking about the temptation of the Lord Jesus. I expect there wouldn't be enough time to deal with that in any kind of respectful detail. So I'll broaden my subject, and I want to speak something about the wilderness and um, New Testament teaching on that particular particular topic. And as I've spoken with our brethren here over the sessions of the weekend, I've I've had in my mind that in all probability there will be someone here, probably more than one, passing through some kind of a a wilderness in the landscape of life. Days of difficulty, days that are disappointing, and days that are demanding. And what we are interested in is to learn that God made provision right throughout the Scriptures in both Testaments so that people could be carried through the wilderness. The wilderness was never a destination. The wilderness was a transition. The wilderness was a phase of teaching with the intention of moving on to better and brighter things. The wilderness was a classroom in God's educational school. I say to maybe a Christian here this afternoon, if you have passed through recent times a wilderness experience and the skies were gray and the landscape was drab and things were difficult and disappointing, you will get through. 
And the Lord will bring you through to better things. And you can take that wilderness experience as part of His teaching, as part of His training to develop in your life uh, character and to shape things for His glory and so on. Now, that's more or less the background, and I better get to work and be as brief as I can. <clears throat> One of the things that very striking in connection with the New Testament is that each one of the four Gospels commences in the wilderness and someone speaking in the wilderness. The voice of a man crying in the wilderness. Well, you say, you don't preach in the wilderness. You go to the villages, you go to the cities, you go to the streets. The last place on earth where you send a man to preach is to stand and preach and lift up his voice to the gray, bare sandstone of the wilderness. The wilderness is a place where you don't preach. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. The people had never heard the likes before. It was so striking and startling and the shattering of 400 years of silence. Everybody woke up and said, what's this? And they came out from the cities and out from the villages and the different parts of the countryside and they streamed into the wilderness to hear the voice of a man preaching where nobody ever preached before. And the audiences were large and the people were galvanized and gripped by his strident messages and there he was, the preacher in the wilderness. That's how God still gets people through the wilderness. Great to meet a preacher. If you ever finish up in a wilderness experience in life, one of the things that will really help you is to come just there and hear a preacher. Get a word from God. There's nothing changes the landscape of life's wilderness like getting a voice from heaven that would send a message into your soul in the circumstances of life. John preached a message of Reality brought the people out from the cities. You know, in the city, big busyness and commotion and commerce and all the things that happen. And our lives are crammed and they're cluttered and they're busy. Get people out into the wilderness and out from their hiding places, detached from all the distractions. And once you have them in the wilderness with nothing to take up their attention and their focused mind, you can speak a message in the solitude and silence of the wilderness is the arena for communicating a message. That's why God put John the Baptist to be the preacher in the wilderness and got the people to come out. No more shops. No more iPhones. No more emails. No more games. The people stood on the raw reality of the bare wilderness floor. Nowhere to hide and just exposed and they face to the reality of what life is all about as they listen to the voice of the... That's the purpose of conferences, so that we face the reality of life. In the city, we hide. We get distracted. We get carried away with other things. But when we come out into the bare exposure of the Word of God, we find ourselves to be searched. And well, that was it. The preacher in the wilderness. And that's, I say, a great... God brought Israel out into the wilderness. He didn't give them the Ten Commandments in Egypt. He said, you're too busy down in Egypt. Too busy worshipping snakes. 
and worshipping spiders and worshipping crocodiles down in Egypt. Too many pyramids, too many palaces, too many little bits and pieces of earthly education and entertainment, too many colorful hieroglyphics. He says, you come out from that colorful place and he said, just you come way down into the wilderness and you have no one else to listen to, no one else to look at. And he said, when I get you there in the solitude of that silent wilderness of Mount Sinai, I will talk to you. And he spoke the ten words and the people never forget them. He spoke, he spoke to Elijah in the wilderness. He spoke to Moses in the wilderness. Right throughout the Bible, the wilderness and its silence, the wilderness and its solitude was a great place for getting people to listen to the voice of God. When they became detached, maybe, maybe I'm speaking to a Christian here today. Can I say, maybe, perhaps, perhaps that is why the Lord has permitted a wilderness experience in your life. He wants to talk to you. That's why the disappointments came. That's why the dry patch has arrived. That's why you feel yourself to be isolated and you're alone and you're in listening mode. Most of the time, our minds are so cluttered and our ears are listening to other things and the bright flashing lights and the texts and the pings of the iPhones. We cannot hear the voice of God. In this interconnected world, we are so attached to this, that, and the other, we become detached from heaven. And God at times has to isolate us just that he can speak to us. The prophet, the wilderness prophet, that was how the New Testament began. And uh, I'll say nothing more about that. Second thing that comes into the wilderness experience in the New Testament is the wilderness prayers. We've read here just in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, that the Lord Jesus rising up a great while before day he, he went out and he departed into a solitary place. That's the wilderness. Same word, harimos. Into the wilderness. And there he prayed. Out from Peter's house. Away from the other people. Away from the clamor of the crowd. Away from the pressure and the glare of publicity. There before the sun would split the sky and the stones. You see a figure going out from Peter's house to the edge of Capernaum. Then he disappears into the solitude of the wilderness of Galilee. And just there, in the quiet privacy of that wilderness, he prays. Have you a quiet place where you pray? There's a beautiful verse, actually, in uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 16. It says that Jesus withdrew himself into the wilderness and there prayed. And I, 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 very, much like, I very much like the New American Standard um, translation of that expression. It says he would often <clears throat> slip away. Nothing, nothing subtle, nothing secretive, nothing surreptitious. He would often slip away into the wilderness and there pray. Do you ever slip away? Do you ever switch off all the contacts? Do you ever turn down all the switches and the knobs? Do you ever press the red button and just slip away? Do you ever make yourself unavailable? 
Make yourself unavailable to your Facebook, Instagram friends so that you might become available to God. Many of us, many of us find that in public Christian experience, in the office, in the family, in the business, in the education, college, university, publicly our Christian lives are wilting because they're starved. Starved of the oxygen of private communion with God. I say especially to my younger Christians, you cultivate the habit of slipping away. Don't worry about the social events. There is a social side in Christian experience. We love the parties. Listen, you see when all the parties are over, the most of them don't count for that. Plenty of fun, but very little depth. Plenty of sound and sensation and socialism. Very little spiritual substance. You slip away from all of those things. Learn to detach yourself. Learn the value of the negative. Saying no to men. Saying yes to God. He would often slip away into the wilderness and there pray. And I can guarantee to all my younger Christian friends, every hour that you spend there, it will furnish your life with countless hours of spiritual dividend and strength. The wilderness preacher. It's good to be in the wilderness to hear the voice of God, what he says to me. The wilderness prayers, what I say to him, this two-way communication. Prayer and the Word of The wilderness provision. And that's especially what we have in the Gospel according to John. <clears throat> and... Uh, I can't, I can't really start into that now. We can talk about it later if you wish. But the structure of John's gospel, well, there are quite a number of structures in that wonderful gospel. Multi-structured, multi-layers of spiritual truth. And we've all heard from we were little boys just wearing small shoes. That John's gospel, the first 12 chapters, the public ministry of the Lord Jesus, and then those chapters from 13 on, dealing with his private ministry to his disciples. All I want to mention just this afternoon is this. Chapter 1 and 2, chapter 11 and 12. In chapter 1, you get a wilderness. In chapter 11, you get a wilderness. And then you get a week. In chapter 11, you get a wilderness. Then you get a week. In chapter 1, you get a wilderness, then a week. Then you get a, a wedding supper. In chapter 11, you get a wilderness, then you get a week, and then you get a worship supper. Oh, you say, well, that's what I would like. That's what I would like. I would like, to, I would like the supper. The worship supper and the wedding supper. I don't like the wilderness. Well, I say, dear Christians, we will have the worship supper. And we will have the wedding supper. We will soon be in John chapter 2 and in John chapter 12 and out of the wildernesses of chapter 1 and chapter 11. And we'll get there. We will get there. You say, but how will I ever manage through? What about the peace in between? Well, that's what John's telling us. Just in those intervening chapters between 1 and 2 and 11 and 12, 
You get three, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And he's telling us how a believer in the Lord Jesus can get through the wilderness. Chapter 3, the serpent lifted up in the wilderness. Chapter 6, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. Chapter 7, the rock that was smitten and the waters that flowed forth. Chapter 8, not now the serpent or the sustenance and not now the stream of living water, the Shekinah glory. The Lord Jesus said in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. Chapters 10 and 11, not now the stream and those other things that I have mentioned. It's the great shepherd. In the Old Testament, we are told that God led his people through the wilderness like a flock. And what God did in the Old Testament, the Lord Jesus will do in the new. Thank God we will get through, dear Christians. Just remember this, and pardon my brevity. If we are going to get from the wilderness to the worship supper and to the wedding supper, everything that we need for the journey along the way and the darkest days and the toughest times, every requirement is fully met in Christ. He's the source of life as the serpent. He's the sustenance of life. He's the fullness of life. He's the flow of life. All of those things. Maybe... Maybe I should just drop back a little bit and say this. It takes more than Christ as the Lamb. We appreciate that. He's the Lamb. And He died for me. And His precious blood was shed. Thank God it will fill our hearts with everlasting worship. It will fill the vaults of heaven with a volume of undying praise, the value of the Lamb. But I tell you, it takes a lot more than the Lamb. Will you say, that's all I appreciate about the Lord Jesus, that He loved me and He died for me? That's good, my dear Christian. You need a lot more than that. You need a lot more of Christ than that. It took the Lamb to get them out of Egypt. It took a lot more than the lamb to get them through the wilderness. They need the red heifer. They need the serpent. They need the smitten rock. The lamb is not enough to get them through the wilderness. And that's what John said. He says, listen, chapter 1, he's the lamb of God. He said, that's where you start. He said, that's the foundation of life. But he said, if you want to get the fullness of life and the flow of life and uh, the future of life, and the food of life, he said, you'll need to feed upon him as the manna, as the serpent, as the smitten rock, as the Shekinah cloud, as the shepherd. I say, dear Christians, to get through the wilderness of this world, how would we ever make it through did we not have Christ? May God grant we will have expanding appreciations of him. Value him as the lamb, but whatever you do, don't stop there. There's much more to Christ than this stupendous fact that he died for me. There's a lot more to, may the Lord help us just, that's how, that's the provision. The wilderness preacher, the wilderness prayer, don't neglect private times of prayer. The wilderness provision, enjoy Christ in all his fullness. I'll say a little word very, very quickly about the wilderness priest. And again, I'm apologizing 
with brevity. We, we shortchanged we short-changed our brother Mervyn a little bit yesterday in his ministry, so I'm not going to be guilty of that today. I want to get out of here as quick as possible and leave him time for expository expansiveness. And the wilderness priest, the epistle to the Hebrews, that's the Christian going through the wilderness. Hebrews chapter 3, chapter, and there's a priest on the throne. You say, but sure, what does he know? We're going through the wilderness, and he's on the throne of glory. What does he know? about the wilderness and all its rugged challenge. And we said, he was there one. He was in the wilderness. And he was there one time for six weeks. Forty days. And he had a face-to-face encounter with his satanic majesty. And for forty days, on a one-to-one, the Son of God and the commander of the hosts of infernal rebellion, they met together in the wilderness. You say the wilderness of my life is very demanding. There's a lot of pressure. Oh, the pressure is on me. The temptations are very fierce. My dear Christian friend, I want to tell you, in the temptations of the wilderness, there's a priest who once was here and suffered the pressure. He experienced the temptation. He registered the triumph. He now sits upon the throne. And according to that wilderness book of the epistle to the Hebrews, he's able to succor them that are tempted, and even the people who have failed. He not only can give help to those who experience temptation, for those who have succumbed to temptation and have sinned, he's the propitiation for those who have failed. He's the priest for those who haven't yet failed. And all that we need, all that we need can be found in him. He was tempted in the wilderness. And you know, again, again, I'm abbreviating. You do your best. I know after a good lunch like that, uh, brain cells work very, very slowly. And I'm seeing a few revolving eyeballs. I don't know whether you're having revelations of the night or nightmares. Nightmares of a Sunday afternoon ministry meeting, but I'll put the best construction upon it that you're just gazing heavenward. Anyway, anyway, um, I was talking there about the temptations. The devil tempted the Lord in the wilderness. Then he took him up to a mountain. Then he took him to a temple. That's where the devil... The devil will tempt you in the hardships of life. Then he'll tempt you on the high places of life. Get you up, make you a little bit dizzy. You get a little bit self-important. Those kind of thoughts, of course, never affected the Savior. Bring you up to some elevation, and you really think that you're right up there, and then then He'd bring you into holy things. And He'd try and get you to do something presumptuous. So in hard places, in high places, and in holy places. But the devil... The first temptation was in the wilderness, not the other two. The first, He says, Lord, you're the Son of God. He said, you're, you're very hungry here. You're very hungry. He said, you, you, you should make bread. He said, you're, he said it's, not, it's, not a, it's too bad that you, being the Son of God, would have to suffer hunger. Oh, he says, Lord, Lord don't, don't. Please don't suffer. He said, sure, you can go ahead. You can make these stones bread. It's no problem. It's your prerogative. You deserve better than this. You don't need to be fasting and hungry and famished in this desert. And you have the power and you have the freedom and the ability. Go ahead. 
And the devil was very, very nice. You know, he didn't, we, we sometimes say when the devil came and he said, if thou be the son of God, the devil doubted whether he was, a, the devil didn't doubt that he was the son of God. A whole lot of people might have doubted Pharisees and Sadducees. The devil knew he was the son of, so he said, he said, you know, actually, I've been thinking about this. And he said, you're the son of God. And he said, a person like you deserves better. He said, you should just satisfy yourself. Meet your own needs. Take things into your own hand. So that the angle, the angle of his attack, as well as the area of his attack, it was very, very subtle. The devil is always very, 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 very manipulative, very seductive. He did the same in the Garden of Eden. He didn't come into the Garden of Eden and say, Eve, <clears throat> you see this garden? I detest it. You see the God who put you in this garden? I hate him. Eve, I'm going to destroy this garden. Every tree, every fruit, every beauty of its paradise, I will eliminate it, for I detest it. No, he said, Eve, he said, actually, he said, I've been thinking about you. He says, you weren't... Um, you're not allowed to eat of all these trees. He says, there's a very nice tree there. He says, I think, he says, a person like you deserves better. He said, a nice person like you. And he said, you're deprived of that one special tree. He says, I think, I think he's just taking all into consideration. You being who you are, he says, you should go ahead. Just the same as he said to the Lord. You know, the devil doesn't come in with a great big forked lightning. The devil doesn't say to the Christian, I detest your Christian testimony and your acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as Lord, and I will do my utmost to leave your testimony as a total shambles. No, he'll never do that. Or very rare. He might give a roar. At, but most, for example, here's a young sister, and she's had a friendship with a brother in the assembly. Hasn't worked out. Broken relationship, shattered, disappointed. And um, she's just reeling from this relationship that hasn't developed as she so much anticipated and expected. And the devil just, he said, now listen, he says, do you see the way, you see the way that you were treated there by Bartholomew? He said, you deserve better. He said, you see, the, you see the, the, the nice young gentleman in the office? He wouldn't treat you like that. He's very gentlemanly. He's very thoughtful. He's very intelligent. He's a nice job. He's a very, very good salary. Would be able to keep you, and he has showed you nothing. He, he, he's, he, he's not a believer. But don't worry about that. But he, he'd really make you, and you deserve better. You, the way that that Christian young man treated you, and you deserve better. And you, and so this young lady, there's a verse in the Bible somewhere says something about, be not unequally yoked, but the devil doesn't quote that verse. Oh no. What God said, don't, don't worry. Oh, don't think about what God says. It's your needs. Oh, you've been really hurt. And you've been really damaged. And I really care for you. And I would love to see you happy. Even though it's at the expense of God's... This lady in the assembly has been a little bit harshly treated. And uh, she feels the brethren have been too severe. 
And uh, some of the other sisters uh, put her out on the cold, cold shoulder. And she feels just that I'm not very well accepted. And I'm just receiving a raw deal at the assembly. And there's not the love. That's usually the same. There's not the love that I should have. And when the devil gets, he says, now I'll tell you what to do. Sir. He says, I think, I think a nice Christian like you, he said, you deserve six months away from the meeting. Don't you go back. Those people haven't treated you very nice. You deserve a break. So just you stay away from the meetings for six months. Look after yourself. Be kind to yourself. And don't get involved. Don't you get involved with those Christians where they don't really have your best interests at heart and just you stay at home. And she thinks to herself, you know, that is an idea. Hmm. That is an idea. And she doesn't go back to the meetings because she's been, even though the Bible says not forsaking the assembly. Oh, don't, 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 don't worry about the Bible says. Not forsaking the assembly of yourselves again. No, but I deserve better. I'm going to just mollycoddle myself and I'm going to sit at home and take a little bit of me time and personal care. And, and then the devil says, ha ha! He said, I have got her isolated. She doesn't have Christian fellowship. She doesn't have the support of the believers. She doesn't have the protection of the assembly. I have managed to coax her away from the meetings. And now that she's isolated, I will target her in her isolation and just bring her down. Watch the devil doesn't come with nice whispers and tell you that you deserve better. Here's a brother, and in his business, he has been roughly treated. And he has worked hard for the company, but he sees suddenly, he sees suddenly an opportunity just to make a few unrighteous dollars. The devil says, you know, you've been roughly, you deserve better. And a person like you, just, you know, just go ahead. You, you look after yourself. These people didn't look after you. They treated you roughly and unfairly. You look after yourself. There's a chance. They won't recognize the contribution you have made. But here are a few dollars that you can have for yourself. Even though it means doing a few trick the books and just changing things around. You go ahead. He doesn't tell the man, you get the $100,000 and you carry a scar on your conscience for the rest of your life. Watch the devil. Oh, he says, Lord, you deserve better. You make the bread. Don't be with it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. My dear young sister, young brother, no matter how the devil whispers, the angle of his temptation is very subtle. The aim of his temptation is very destructive. The answer to his temptation always is just what God says. It is written. And so the Lord Jesus, he's a great conqueror in the temptation in the wilderness, now sits upon the throne. You say, but you don't know about the pressure. Well, he knows. And thank God he can sustain his people in the midst of it. Oh, I better finish. I better, I be I better stop. I'll not finish. But I'll stop. The wilderness preacher, that helps you to get through. Get a, get a, great to get a voice, a word from God. I hope we have heard a word from our dear brethren uh, through the sessions of this week. And the wilderness prayer, the wilderness provision, the fullness of Christ. The wilderness priest who has suffered the pressure and has established the pattern by which we can answer the advances of the adversary. Just let me finish by speaking very briefly about the wilderness promises. I'm going to dip 
back into the Old Testament. You know, there won't always be wildernesses. The very fact that we have wildernesses in this world is an indication that we are in a fallen world. The day will come when you will travel around the globe and there will not be a desert like the Arizona desert, the Sahara desert, the Gobi desert. There will not be a desert to be seen. The wildernesses will all be eliminated. Wilderness conditions, the mark of the curse, are an indication that we are still in a fallen and fractured world. Thank God there's a day coming that that wilderness will be removed from your life and also from Tell you something better. Where do you hear that? You say, oh, but great when all the wilderness are past. No more dry days, no more difficulties. Oh, it'll be great. That'll be great. When God removes all those problems, won't that be great, dear believers? He can do something better than remove the wilderness. Prophecy of Isaiah. He says, I'll make a river in the wilderness. Oh? Isaiah 43. Isaiah 41. He said, I'll make a road in the wilderness, away in the wilderness. Isaiah chapter 35. He said, the wilderness shall blossom like a rose. You know, God will remove the wildernesses in a coming day of glory. But in the meantime, He can give in the wilderness a row. You see that wilderness that you're in, teenager, mother, overseer, the Lord can show a road. He can also provide a river. And thank God He can make a rose to grow. Sweet, beautiful, blossoming, and fragrant. What a God we have. Dear Christians, let us keep pressing on. I was reading there the other day, Solzhenitsyn, just give me this, I apologize to Brother Mervyn. Solzhenitsyn, when he was writing his biography, and thinking back to the days that he spent in the gulag, in the prison, and he said this, he said, Bless you, O prison, for being in my life. Bless you, O prison. He said, when I was lying there upon the straw of the prison floor, he said, I learned that life was not about material prosperity, as I had been taught to believe. But he said, on the straw of that prison floor, I learned that life, not about material prosperity, life was about the maturity of the soul. And he said, I'm glad of the prison because I became a bigger and a better man. I matured on the hard straw of the prison floor. I'm nearly suspicious. And I'm, you forgive me for talking about these things. I've had very little experience of the hardships of life. Dear believers here, you have been trekking through different wildernesses for years. Maybe when it's all over, and you've reached the better land, and you take the vantage point and rescan the landscape of life's history, you'll be able to say, bless you, wilderness, for being in my life. Life is not about material prosperity, dear Christians in America, in our Western world. Life is about the maturity of soul. And if God has to bring you into one wilderness, two, three, four, five wildernesses, so that He might mature your soul, I want to tell you, He will bring you in. Better still, he will bring you through, and he will make you a better person. I trust that the Lord will bless his word.